Well, good morning. Yeah, let's clap for that. It is good to see everybody here today. My name is Scott, and it's my privilege to be able to share with you uh, as we continue on in our series. But we watched that video, and uh, I'm just—it was an amazing event. So much fun watching the kids and uh, watching their faces as they got to play all these different games. Over 40 different games they they were able to play, and I think probably the pleasure for me was even more so watching parents' faces. Because if you're a parent and you've ever been to a carnival like that, you know that's a stressful time for us as parents, right? We're, we're watching our kids and they're, they have these tickets and you've got to keep buying tickets and it's like, oh my goodness, what's this going to cost? And children have no concept or, of time or money, right? So it's just like, oh my goodness, this is hard. But, but the, the cool part was it was all free. So it didn't cost them anything. So the parents' faces were like relief. Like, this is awesome. This is really cool uh, that my kids get to come. They get loved on. They get to have a good time. And uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who uh, went out and volunteered and made that happen. Just a great way for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And just a great, uh, great time. So thank you for that. Well, today we're going to continue on in our series. Uh, we've been talking about family goals, that we all should have some goals, whether we um, have a family yet or not. We're a part of a family, so it relates still to all of us, no matter what stage of life that we are at. And as we think about this, the first week Keith came out and he, he began to share the importance of having a God-centered focus, right, in our, in our family, what that looks like. Whether we're a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, a child, and uncle, we should try to remain focused in on the things that God would have us to focus on. And uh, so we, he kind of unpacked that a little bit. And then last week, we talked about above all else, we are all to love one another. And the importance of that and the importance of the role that the mom plays in a family. Uh, moms, you are priceless uh, to the family. We thank you for what you do. And, and he began to, to talk through what that looks like all throughout the family. Is that if we could just love like Jesus loved, it's amazing how we have more peace, right, in all areas of our life. And today we're going to talk about how do we, um, how do we lead ourselves. What's that look like for me? Andy Stanley says, the most difficult person you're ever going to lead is yourself. What do I do with the person that I look in the mirror at every single day? How do I lead that person well? And here's the thing, that we believe that every single one of us, God created us with a dream inside of us, a plan, a goal. And so how do we fulfill what God has planned or dreamed for our life? And how do, our, how do we live out our Dreams. I was reading a story a while back. It's one of my favorite stories about a guy named Henry Comstock. And you may have heard of him before, but Henry back in the 1800s, as the American West was being settled, his dream was to have a mine. And he wanted to, 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 to dig for precious metals. And he believed that if he could find the right piece of ground, the right mine, he could potentially one day hit the mother load. And finally, the day came that he actually staked his claim. And the first thing he began to do was he began to dig. And when he began to dig, a, a day turned into two, which turned into a week, which turned into a few weeks, which turned into a few months, which turned into a few years. And the more he dug, the more ore and precious metal that he began to pull out of the ground. And he was so excited about it. I mean, he was all kinds of, of, of precious metal was coming in. And, and in 1859, he thought he really hit the mother load when uh, an investor came by and made him an offer on his mine for $11,000. Now, we think $11,000, that's a lot of money. But back in 1859, that was a whole lot of money. Henry said, hey, if you're going to make me that offer, you've got yourself a deal. You've bought yourself a mine. And off into the sunset, Henry went. And today, there's been over $340 million 
worth of precious metals and ores ored out of the Comstock mines. The person that bought it, he dug just a little bit deeper. And as he dug a little bit deeper, he began to find more and more and more precious metals. And I think Henry, he might have given up just a little bit too quick. I think that happens for us sometimes. Sometimes we hit a rough patch, we hit something that's difficult, and we go, you know what, I I just feel like I just need to quit. I need to throw in the towel, I need to be done, I need to sell, I need to move over this direction. I'm not going to continue to move forward with maybe what my dream was. And sometimes, sometimes what God is saying is, just dig a little bit deeper. Dig a little bit deeper. I think as you look at, we look at our lives, there's really four different, different types of people that we could look at. But before we get there, we're going we're gonna to look at what Paul says about this in the book of 1 Corinthians in, in chapter number 9. The apostle Paul, many of us know him um, well, not personally, but we've read his writings, his writings before, obviously. And, and, and when we think about his life, we think about not only his life that he was accredited with writing almost half of the New Testament, but also his life previously before he became a follower of Christ. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but before he began to follow Christ, his name was actually, does anybody know what his name was? Saul, right? His name was Saul. And Saul was not a nice guy. He actually didn't like those who followed Christ at all. The Bible says that he actually persecuted those who followed Christ until one day he had an experience. He had an encounter with the Almighty God. He was walking on a road that was called that he was walking on a road to Damascus, and, and all of a sudden a big light shone down on him, shined down on him, and, and he was blinded for a moment, and the scales fell off of his eyes, and his sight was literally open, and his heart was changed in an instant, in a moment. And for many of us, we've had some experiences, maybe not quite like that, but we've, we've understood who God is and what God wants to do in our life. And God's placed this dream inside of us. And what do we do with that dream? How do we move forward with that? So if you have your Bible, start to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and we'll read a couple of verses and, and jump in to this today. Verse 25 says, it says, Every athlete exercises self-control or self-discipline in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I mean, it's so cool that shadow boxing is in the New Testament. It says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul had, had a dream. He wanted to continue to share the gospel all around the world. And so he said, you know, I, I realize that just beating the air is not necessarily my plan, but to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus all around the world, that is my passion. That is my dream. And what Paul wanted to be at the end of the day is he wanted to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I think we come in here on a Sunday morning, and, and, I, and I think that we, most of us would probably say that's the exact same thing that we would want. We would, would be, we, we would want to be known as one who is fully devoted following Jesus with everything that we have. And for some people, they're able to do that. And for some, they're not. And maybe you have this dream inside of you that's something different than that. Maybe something else God has called you to. Have you ever thought, why don't I actually get to do the things that I wish that I could? Maybe you had a dream at one time and it didn't continue to move forward. Maybe it stopped along the way somewhere. I heard it said once, there's actually four different types of people. Four different types of people when it comes to having dreams or having goals or having vision. The first kind is this. This is the, the, the people who are the cop-outs. 
They're the ones that, that they don't want to make, make an excuse for everything and they don't want to have any goals. They don't want to commit to anything. They don't want to commit to anything. It's like, you know, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy it. I'll never be super successful, but I'll never be like, you know, what, what, way far behind. I just, I don't want to commit because I don't want to fail. The second type is the holdouts. And these are people who don't know why they can't reach their goals. So they're just afraid to commit to anything. They don't want to commit to anything because they don't want to fail. So it's like, I'm not sure exactly what it is. And so I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's kind of like that, that junior or senior in high school that's saying, okay, go ahead and pick what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And they're going, I'm not even sure what I want for breakfast this morning. Let alone what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. It's stressful, right? I don't think I can commit to that right now. The third type of person is the dropouts. These are the people who start towards a goal, but they end up stopping because it gets tough. It gets tough. I mean, life's not always easy. There are times life gets very difficult, and so they press up against something, and they're like, oh, I'm just going to drop out of the race. The fourth kind of person is the all-out. This is the person who has the dream. They have the goal. They have the vision. They set it. They commit to it, and then they pay the price to reach the goal. And I believe that everybody in this room, when it comes to being a follower of Christ, we would say, yes, we want to be all-out for Jesus. I want to do everything I can to, to live fully into what God has for me. I, I want to be the best grandma. I, I want to be the best grandpa. I, I want to be the best mom or the best dad or the best brother or sister or aunt or uncle or son or daughter. I want to be all out and do everything I can to, to be exactly what God desires for me to be. But sometimes along the way, we end up taking a left when we should have taken a right. I believe today we're going to look at, at four different things that will that can help us be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and to be the leader that, that God desires for you and for me to be. How do we lead the most difficult person in the world? Ourselves. Four different things I think can help us get there. The number one, to be a great leader, the, the first thing we need to do is we need to be a great follower. We need to learn to be a great follower. Matthew 16, 24, it says this. It says, then Jesus told his disciples... If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and then let him follow me. Three very simple things to do, right? Number one, it's really easy to deny ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, not so much. I don't know about you, but I get up and I'm like, yeah, Scott wants what Scott wants. So let's do what Scott wants. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to deny yourself. Life is not about me. Life is not about you. Life is about him. It's about following him. He says the first step, deny yourself. Secondly, it's simple as well. Just take up your cross. Just take up his cross, right? Daily. Take it up. What does that mean exactly? Taking up his cross daily simply means that I realize that there's going to be difficult things that are going to happen in life. There's going to be some pain, but I need to push through it and continue to live into what God has for me in my life. Just continue to push through that. And then he says, I, I want you just to follow me. We hear those words and we go, man, that is not an easy thing to do. It's difficult sometimes just to, to deny, <laughs> to say it's not about me, right? To take up the cross and then just to follow, but that's what God has called us to do. And only a leader who is followed well will know how to lead well. 
Only a person who has been following well will know how to lead others well. You know, I look out here today, and I know many of you, you lead different people. Maybe in your home, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe with kids. You are always leading other people. And the best way for us to be a great leader is to understand first how to be a great follower. To understand that it's not about me. It's about what am I doing following him and who am I following? You know, the Bible talks about how the Gentiles, there were people who would actually lord over people. It says in Genesis 20, or Matthew 20, uh, verse number 25, but Jesus called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Have you ever met someone who wanted you to know that they were in charge? <laughs> yeah, we've all met them, right? They want you to know, hey, I'm in charge here. I, I got this, right? I'm in, I'm in control. I've got the power. And they will begin to lord it over you. It's like, oh, I love you. Like, no, I really love you, right? That's what a good leader will do. They'll be a servant leader, and they'll show that they love. But there are some people, they just want to show they have it all figured out, have it all together. He goes on in Ephesians and verse number 25, verse number 21, and it says, we were to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, if we desire to do anything that makes an impact for Christ, we must first deny ourselves. We must take up our cross and we must follow him. To be a great leader means, number one, I need to be a great follower. The second practice I need to do is is I need to develop self-discipline or self-control. I need to put some practices in my life to help me be more disciplined to be the person that God desires for me to be. Timothy puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for that which is to come. You see, one of the most important things that you and I can do every single day is to spend time alone with God in his word. It's to spend time alone with him, unpacking and looking at what God has for every single one of us. I I think there's lots of reasons why this might not happen. I think, for one, we, we get so busy with life that we don't stop to take the time to actually make make time for God every single day. And it sounds so bad to say that, but it's so easy to do that because life is busy. I mean, there is always something going on. And then when it's not, I need to relax, right? I need to take some time off. I need to put my feet up. I need to watch TV or be on social media or do something and just relax a little bit. And we don't end up planning time alone with God. Or maybe it's because, you know what, I just, I don't know it, think I know enough, so I don't actually get into it. I tried it, but I didn't really understand it. And so today, I want to make this as practical as I possibly can. As practical as I can. A couple of things. Number one, get yourself a good study Bible, right, that you can actually read and understand. Get ones you can read and you can understand. Uh, we teach out of the ESV here at Rock Harbor Church, right? It's a great, it's a great version that we use, um, and we use it because it's like an eighth grade reading level. And we're not real smart. And so it works really good for us, right? I mean, it's just, it works really good. It's something that we all can understand. Get you a good study Bible that actually explains context and actually explains what's going on in the footnotes so you can actually understand everything that's actually happening. And you say, well, Scott, I think it's important also to, to, to get a good Bible reading plan. And I agree 100%. You can download version and you can have that on your phone 
or on your app or on your iPad or whatever you want to have it on. And that's a great way to read the Bible. But I'm just going to speak for me personally today. And that is, is that when I read from my phone or from a tablet and somebody texts me, do you know the first thing that I do? I check their text. I don't know why. I've tried not to like discipline myself, not very self-disciplined. So I've learned that I shouldn't read from that. Not because it's not good, because I believe that it can be, but there's just something about opening up the word of God in the Bible and having it on pages and actually reading it and highlighting it and taking notes through it. And that means so much more to me personally. I think it's important not just to, to, to read it alone, but also to have a good journal along with it. And all the ladies are like, yeah, I get that journaling. All the guys are like, Scott, you had me at Bible, you lost me at journal, right? I mean, I'm not doing that. So I'm going I'm to tell you, what do I put in my journal, right? What, what would I write if I had a journal, Scott? Let's just play the game. If I had a journal, what would I write in? Here's what I'd want you to write. You can write this in your notes too. Write the acronym SOAP or the word SOAP just going down. S-O-A-P. S-O-A-P. The S stands for this, scripture. Write down what scripture you're going to read for that day. Let's just say we start in John. Chapter number one, verse number one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. I'm just going to write down a scripture, okay? And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to observe what it's telling me or what it's saying. Observe what's going on around it. I have scripture, I have observation, just observe what it's saying, okay? And maybe I'm going to my footnotes a little bit in my study Bible, and I'm reading some context around it to go, oh, so that's what's actually happening in that portion of scripture right there. The reason that Jesus is talking about that, got it, okay, good, the next thing I want to do is I want to know how do I apply this to my life? You see, just to read for reading's sake doesn't excite me a whole lot. I'm like, how do I apply this to my life and take it and do something with it? So I have scripture, I have observation, I have application, and I have prayer. The last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to spend some time alone talking to God about whatever it is that I've read that day. And maybe I have other prayer requests as well. Things going on with my family, at home, at work. Maybe I have friends have things going on. I'm praying for other people. Maybe you have the Rock Harbor prayer list that we send out and you, you begin to pray for those prayer requests that come in every single week from Sunday. It's just a great way for us to spend time alone with God. And then there's times that I encourage you to emphasize different words as you're reading God's word. Let's take, for instance, like Psalms 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what if I emphasize a different word? And I encourage you to do this alone, like away from other people. Because if you're reading out loud at Starbucks, that might be weird, okay? <laughs> Just saying, right? But say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Or the Lord is my shepherd. What's a shepherd do? A shepherd tends sheep. A shepherd takes care of his flock. The Lord says that he's my shepherd. He's watching over me. He cares about what's happening in my life. He wants me to come to him and talk to him about what's happening in my life. It's a very simple way just to put an emphasis on different words as we read God's word. And sometimes it's tough because we just get so busy that we're like, ah, I just don't know how to do that. I've had people tell me this. They say, Scott, you know what? I feel closer to God when I go to the mountains. When I go to the mountains, I feel closer to God. I'm like, well, 
God's everywhere present. He's omnipresent. So he's always there no matter where you're at, right? He's always there. So you're not really closer to him, but maybe it's because you, you get rid of some of the distractions that are around you that you actually do feel closer to God. You know, we live in a world that's filled with noise. Our world is filled with noise. There are so many things that are being pushed towards us, but through advertisements, through social media, through Facebook, through Instagram, through ChapSnap, through all those different things, man. They're throwing stuff your way through Twitter, all the different things that are out there, right? There's all these different social media sites, and, and they're just bombarding us. And it's all just noise. And we're trying to get alone with God, and it's hard today. So you get out to the mountains, and all of a sudden, there's, there's no more city lights. And you look up, and you look at the stars, and you're like, man, God. God created the stars. He created everything that's in this world. And you begin to read your, your Bible as you're away from all the different noise. And it's like, man, God speaks to me more when I'm in the mountains. Well, yeah, that's because we have so much noise in our life. So the question is, how do we remove some of that noise? How do we remove it? Or we'll have this. People will say, you know what? I, I, I come to church on Sunday and Scott, that's when I get filled up, man. I come to church Sunday and I feel really good. I mean, Keith's out here and he's riding a lawnmower on stage or he's speaking from a tent or he's leaf blowing the whole front row. I don't know what he's doing, right? And you're like, man, I just feel it. I mean, that's encouraging and it is encouraging. I mean, Hebrews makes it clear, right? It says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, it's important for us to spend time together, but but honestly, when we get up and we share this on a, on a weekend, really we're getting secondhand information. We have somebody else who's sharing it with us, and God, he wants, he wants to speak to you firsthand. I mean, can you imagine doing this in other areas of our life? Hey, what I'm going to do is this year is instead of going on vacation, I'm going to pay for somebody else to go on vacation and have them come back and tell me all about it. Now, that seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, none of us are really excited about that. I mean, we wouldn't do that with our vacation. How about food? Will we do that with food? No, I mean, absolutely not. We wouldn't do that with food. We love our food, right? I mean, I want you to think about this morning. What's your favorite restaurant in, in all of Boise? What's your favorite place to go? Your favorite restaurant that you get to eat at. You love it when you get to go there. It's even better when mom and dad are paying. I mean, it's like a place you wouldn't go very often. Maybe it's like a special birthday you know, you'd go there, you're 20, you're 25, you're 30, you're 40, you're 45. You love that. You're like, I'll go there then, but we don't go there any other time. It's our special occasion place that we go. Like my parents are coming next week. I'm excited to have them take me to eat. You know, I mean, I'm 40, none of your stinking business and I still love that. It's what mom and dad do, right? Oh, we're going there. Yeah. Hey, you want to go here? Yeah, that sounds great. Dad looks at the menu and he's like, whoa, okay, son. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, love you too, buddy. Okay. So for us, that'd be like going to barbacoa, right? Yeah, you love that. People are clapping like, yeah, okay, it's great. Maybe you've never been there before. I want to get, I'm going to share with you an experience of what it's like to go to barbacoa today. First, you have to make a reservation, right? Then you get there. You walk in and they're really nice. It's a little bit dimly lit, right? But it's a really eclectic type of place that's really decorated in a really interesting way, but it just kind of makes you feel at home at the same time. And they come and you're, they take you to your table and hopefully you're sitting out towards the back patio area so you can oversee Table Rock and you can look at that and there's some water there. And it's just a really nice, it's a really nice time. And then your waitress, your waiter, they come up and they say, can I take your order? And you begin talking through that a little bit and they say, hey, would you like the table side guac? And you're like, 
Yeah, he's paying. Yeah, we want the table side guac. That's great. And so then the guy comes out, right? And he begins to make the table side guac. And he's like, hey, would, would you like red onion in that? We're like, yeah, we'd like red onion in that. Okay, cool. Hey, would you like jalapenos in that? Would you like a little bit? Yeah. Can you put a couple extra in? Because I like it hot like that. Okay, great. Good. And, and they make that. And then he makes it. And he puts it right in front of you. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. This is so good. Right? And, and, and you begin to eat. And it's the best guac you've ever had. And your wife, she's pulling out, you know, her, her phone and writing down all the ingredients. She can make it just like that when you go home later. Oh, that's just my wife. Okay, cool. So uh, you're like, man, that's so good. And then they say, hey, w- can we take your order? And you're like, yeah, that'd be great. Hey, what would you like today to eat? Oh, I think I'll take the filet. No, I think I'm going to do, do the ribeye. But can I do that on the hot rock? Is that okay? Right? Oh, that's a good time right there. Okay, so you're like, man. This is good, right? And, and then they come and they say, what else would you like with that? And you're like, well, I want to have dessert, so I'm going to split a salad with somebody to make me feel better about myself when I eat dessert. And so you do that too, right? And, and they're like, well, what would you want for your sides? Like, um, I'll take those, those macaroni with four cheeses and 9,000 calories in it. Yeah, I'll take those too. And then maybe like, I don't know, I'm having a good time. I hope you are. Um, and so I'll take those mashed potatoes that are loaded with lots of bacon in them. Mm. And it comes out, and it's delicious. It's so good. So good. And they come around, and they bring that platter of desserts out. And you ate half of a salad. So you get to say yes. And you say yes, and it's delicious. It's a good time. You're just enjoying every single second of that experience. Now, what I just shared with you, was a second-hand experience of barbacoa. And what I'm afraid sometimes is we do the same thing with God. And we shortchange him. And we come to church and we listen on a Sunday. But then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are we spending time with him and having a first-hand experience? And I think there's times that we miss so much that God has for us because we're living off of a secondhand experience that somebody else has through God's word. And we live in a first-person world with a first-person God who wants to know you intimately. He does know you, and he wants you to know him in that same way. But the choice is up to you, and it's up to me. And this whole idea of self-discipline and spending more time alone with God, really the only person that we're shortchanging is ourself. And there's so much noise going on in our world that we're just like, what do I do with this? God's saying, just block out 15, 20, 30 minutes a day with me. Open my word. Journal through it. And begin to read it. And let it come to life. Like maybe it comes to life on a Sunday morning for us. The next thing we have to practice is patience. Not only do we need to be a good follower, not only do we need self-discipline, but we need to practice patience. Who is the most patient person to ever walk the face of the earth? Had to be Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was so patient with his disciples. He came and invested his life for three years in 12 dudes. Three years, he gave them everything. 
And 11 of them only turned out to be good, right? There was one that kind of went his own way. His name's Judas. And, you know, you don't ever hear anybody name their child Judas. Hey, this is my son, Judas. Oh, so you like to betray people. Stay away from me and all my family. Okay, great. If your name's Judas, I'm sorry. He invested his life for three years. Then towards the end, I mean, he's saying, hey, guys, I want you to come and I want you to pray with me in the Garden of Gethsemane before I actually go to the cross. And what happens to the disciples as they're sitting there praying with Jesus? What do they do? He says in Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to the death. Remain here and watch with me. And an hour goes by. And Jesus is praying. And he returns to them. And what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. Now, if it was you and me, right? If we were Jesus, we're not. But if we were, do you think, what do you think our response would be when we've invested our life in these guys for three years and now he finds them sleeping? What do you think our response would be? I know what my response would be. And it would not be pretty. It would not be good. But look at Jesus' response. This is what he says to them. Instead, Jesus said, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me just one hour? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, it's weak. Couldn't you just hang out with me just for an hour and just pray with me as you understand what I'm getting ready to go through? Peter, instead of just lambasting him and going off, he says, just watch and pray. And an hour goes by and Jesus comes back and he finds the same thing all over again. He prayed twice that night and twice they fell asleep. Matthew 26, 42 says, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus was praying, hey, I don't like where I'm at right now. If this is what, this is what you want, Lord, then I'm going to go through it. He knew he was getting ready to go to the cross. If you, if you can take it from me, please do. If not, I get it. I understand. I'll follow your plan. And he followed it out. How about Simon Peter when he got upset with somebody because they were saying bad things? He gets upset with them and, and he takes a sword out, right? And he cuts the guy's ear off. Verse 52 says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And he comes down, grabs his ear, And he heals the man and puts his ear back on. He doesn't get mad at Peter. He doesn't get angry. He continues to show love. And he's patient with him. That's what the fruit of the Spirit says, too, for us, right? In Galatians 5 and verse number 22. It says, but for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, not fake, faith, We're to be patient in all things. And there's times, I don't know about you, that's an area <laughs> that I struggle with. I've heard people say, well, I'm never going to pray for patience. I don't blame you. Right? I'm like, I'm good. Lord, I'm good on the patience deal. I mean, I love you, patience deal. Because God will bring opportunities into your life. They'll test them. And Jesus shows how we're supposed to handle it, right? 
We need to continue to pursue patience. Fourth thing is this, is that we need to seek accountability. We need to seek accountability. You see, we're so much better when we do life together with other people than on our own. I quote this verse all the time in the office because it just it means so much to me. Proverbs 11, 14, 11, 14 says, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. We need one another. You see, God designed you and I for each other and for him. And we need each other. God didn't create you and I to do life on our own. He created us to do life with him. It's why we talk so much about community groups as a church. It's why we want to move from a row on the weekend to a circle, right? Because when we're together in a row, it's kind of like we come in, we sit down, we listen, and we head back out. But when we're in a circle, we're going to get known, and we're going to get to know people. You see, we're so much better together when we're together than we ever would be when we're on our own or apart. God designed you and he designed me for this, and it's our choice. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to live into that and press into it? In a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching what we call summer circles. Three times a year, we launch groups as a church. Three times. We're getting ready to it in a few weeks. It's another opportunity for us to say yes to something that we know will be good for us. You say, Scott, I'm just too busy. I have too much going on. What if we knew in advance what our schedules were going to be? And we said, you know what? I can actually tweak or move my schedule to build community into my life. I need community. I don't need to be alone. I don't need to be alone and away from other people. And my friends, when you experience that kind of community, it can change your heart and it will change your life. Last Monday night, we had an opportunity with our community group. We had a member who's gone through some uh, different things with the house and they were looking at, at redoing a house and it's been a crazy ordeal for the past year. And finally, they got everything cleared out of the way a couple of weeks ago and they were able to move forward. And they said, hey, would it be okay if we had the group come over and, and we actually wrote scriptures on the foundation and all the, all the interior walls and all the two by fours in the house, because we want to make sure that our house is built upon a solid foundation. This house is not ours. It's truly God's house. We thought, wow, what a great idea. We all got together, just began to write different verses all throughout the house. If I wasn't in a group, I'd have missed that experience. I would have missed doing life with, with other people. And you miss out on opportunities to pray together. And it's one thing, it's one thing when things are going great to have friends, but it's a completely different, different thing to have really good friends and have community when things aren't going so well. I know that if something happens in my life, I know there are people that I can contact because I'm in community. And in our world today, People think they're more connected because of social media and different things when truly we're farther and farther and farther apart. And we all need to have more accountability in our life and we don't like to think about it. And here's the thing, failure, it happens in isolation. Growth happens in community. Failure happens in isolation. But growth happens when we're in community because we're challenging one another. We're encouraging one another. We're living into the plan that God has for every single person one of us. So let me ask you today, where are you at? How are you doing it at following 
at denying ourselves, at taking up his cross and just following him? How are we in the area of self-discipline? Are we really disciplining ourselves and spending time alone with God? How's our patience? How are we doing with having accountability in our heart and in our life? You see, God designed us for this, but it's up to us. It's our choice. Are we going to live in? Are we going to live into what God wants for us? Or are we going to go our own way? Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for your word. God, it makes it so clear and so simple. And Father, I know that I personally, I fail in this area so much. And it's frustrating. I allow myself to get busy. I allow myself to be distracted. I allow myself to just do my own thing and not deny myself. And you make it so clear that when I do that, then I'm living my way and not yours. Lord, it's my desire to be a fully devoted follower of you. And I believe it is in this room as well. Lord, help us to live in to what you have for us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.